Okay. So we're broadcasting live, I think. So tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about the hindrances. Just a short talk. This won't be a long talk. The hindrances are one of the more iconic and foundational sets of dhammas in the Buddha's teaching. There are certain sets of dhammas that are just specifically important or remarkable. Now, of course, every bit of the Buddha's teaching is wonderful and beautiful, magnificent. But some sets of teachings are exceedingly important and remarkable. For example, the five precepts are something that I think stands out, not as being overly uh, surprising or remarkable as being something new, but they're so foundational and so important, iconic. They're the basis of Buddhist ethics, that you hear them talked about so often in, in Buddhist countries, in Buddhist monasteries. People who come to the monasteries quite often will take the five precepts. And we have the Eightfold Noble Path as a very important part of the teaching. Of course, I mean, it's the central core path. So you'll always hear Buddhism talked about in terms of the teaching of the Eightfold Noble Path. Even the three trainings that uh, summarize the Eightfold Noble Path Sila, Samadhi, Panya, ethics, focus or concentration, and wisdom. These are an iconic, essential group of dhammas. To be honest, there are so many sets of teachings that are just incredibly useful. The hindrances are a bit different. You don't hear them talked about in Buddhist society. Not, not so much. You often don't hear monks telling, giving instruction on them to lay people who come to visit the monastery. Because the five hindrances are remarkable, exceptional, are, are exceptionally important for people practicing meditation. 
they make up the essence of the, the struggle, the struggle to follow the path, the struggle to succeed on the path. The five hindrances are what get in your way. If anything's wrong with your practice, you, you don't have to look far. You don't have to scour the texts to figure out what you're doing wrong. In the Dhammas, of all the Dhammas the Buddha could teach in the Satipatthana Sutta, the first set of Dhammas is the five hindrances. And that's important. They stick out like that. The five hindrances make the difference between really meditating and just trying to meditate. So there, there's often a description of actual meditation, what the Buddha called jhana, where the mind is in a meditative state. And he said, the essence is that they're free from the five hindrances, free from these five things. So they're incredibly important. The five hindrances, of course, are gamaraga, passion for sensuality or sensual desire, desire for sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings that are pleasant, attractive. Vayapada, aversion or ill will, but also um, anger, aversion towards something. It doesn't have to just be a person. The dislike of something. Anger, really. Fury. The sickness of, of cruel intentions and cruelty. Desire for harm wishing harm on others and intending harm, harm for yourself as well, hurting yourself. It's funny how we hurt ourselves when as, as a solution to something, uh, something unpleasant. Something unpleasant happens, we hurt ourselves, we get angry, and this is a torture in itself. Tina Midha, which is this stiffness and drowsiness of mind. The mind that is stagnant, that is inert, incapable of exertion, energetic activity, the sluggish mind, the unwieldy mind. Udacca kukucca, restlessness and worry. So this is the mind that it's unable to fix on an object, unable to focus. The mind that flits, the mind that 
extrapolates, finds meaning in things, extends the meaning beyond the experience. and just overall becomes lost in distraction. The mind that isn't focused and present and here and now. The mind that isn't attentive The mind that isn't stable, that is flitting around like a like a pumpkin on the water, like a gourd on the water, buffeted by the wind and waves. And last but not least, vichikicha, doubt. Doubt is the most dangerous hindrance. It keeps you from following any path. Doubt is what makes it hard to find, hard to follow the right path. Doubt is what keeps you from reaping the benefits of wisdom. Because even though you might see what is right and what is wrong, doubt keeps you from accepting it. When you see the benefit of something, doubt makes you forget. Doubt prevents you from benefiting from the benefit. When you see the problem with something, the doubt is what keeps you from abandoning it. Doubt is what makes it hard to choose the right thing. So the hindrances are quite serious, most especially with meditation practice, but they also describe the obstacles that we face in our life. They're what keeps us from being happy. They're what keeps us from finding peace. The Buddha had some vivid descriptions, similes, for what it, what it is like to experience the hindrances. He said that the reason why these are hindrances, he said they're like water. The mind is like a bowl of water. And if you take a bowl of water and you it's clear water, and you can see everything in in the bowl. You can see your reflection in the bowl. It's so clear and so pure that when you look down in, you see your reflection. So you, you can use the bowl as a mirror even, so clear and so pure. But if you take color and you pour color into the water, red or blue or green, dye. Right? When, in the olden days, they used people would dye their own clothes and so you'd get the dye and you'd pour it in the water and it becomes completely opaque you can't see through it you can't see the bottom it becomes like a uh, like 
a solid color. And he said, because of the dye, you can't see anything. Because of the color that you put in the water, you can't see your reflection, you can't see anything in the water. The water, like the mind, just becomes, becomes completely opaque. You can't understand. You can't see it. You don't know what's inside. He said, this is like a person who is caught up in sensual desire. Sensual lust, it's all colorful, but you become completely blind. You don't know right from wrong, up from down. You, you've lost your sense of perception when it comes to actions and speech. Sensual desire eggs you on to do whatever it takes to get what you want, be it right, right or wrong doesn't even enter your mind. And so you wind up in great trouble, both inwardly, mentally, you become uh, unstable, buffeted by likes and dislikes. When you get what you want, you're happy. When you don't get what you want, you're frustrated, disappointed. And you just have no clue what is right or what is wrong. You can't possibly see because your mind is clouded by the color. And then he said, suppose the water was, the bowl of water was put over a fire and the water started boiling. If the water is boiling and you look into it, you can't see anything in the water. You don't know what what is in it, maybe there's something cooking or maybe there's some stones or gems or anything, you don't see it you can't see your reflection in the water the water has become completely opaque because it's boiling and he said this is like the mind that is consumed by anger the mind that is consumed by anger is like a pot of boiling water you, you lose all sense of perspective in the mind. Someone who is angry has lost all sense of rationality or judgment, uh, perspective. They've lost their ability to judge, to discriminate. They have no ability to discriminate right from wrong. Someone who stubs their toe on a on a table, maybe they punch the table or get angry at inanimate objects. They're so so lost, consumed by the anger. We do things, we shout and we hurt others. The worst thing we could do for our relationship with others, we hurt them. As though that might somehow benefit us. We're so lost that we think a benefit might come from hurting, from causing pain. That's how upside down we become anger is a great hindrance prevents you from seeing clearly and then he said suppose there's a suppose there's a bowl of water or a pool of water that's just been sitting there for a long time and it grows moss or algae or 
plants start to grow over it, this scum. There's this film of scum over the water. And like they say, a stone, there's a saying, a rolling stone gathers no moss. It's meant to mean that a person who is energetic uh, doesn't develop bad habits. It's a very apt sort of saying. It's basically the same idea. So the bowl of water that is pool of water that is covered over by scum, by, by algae, by plants. It's like the mind that is consumed by sloth and torpor, by laziness and drowsiness. The mind that is like this is unwieldy. You know, when we have bad habits of laziness, of sleepiness, of indulging and encouraging our mind to, to torpor, Sometimes through through drugs and intoxicants, sometimes through overeating, oversleeping, over socializing, so many things that make us lazy. Our minds become unwieldy, become stiff. Our minds become stagnant, like, and you can't see anything. This is like the mind that is, the pool that is covered over with scum is like the mind that is stagnant from lack of effort, lack of energy. And so you can't see clearly. And further he talked about a pool of water that is buffeted by the wind waves, wind coming in, and the water is, there's a current, maybe a, a maybe a river, you know, buffeted by the winds. And when it's very windy, you look in the water, you can't see your reflection or see what's in it as well. But I said, this is like a person whose mind is full of restlessness and worry. When your mind is flitting about the past, the future, thinking about analyzing and thinking about meanings behind things, is you just get lost. At no time when you are intellectualizing, analyzing, rationalizing, are you focused on reality. Reality is passing you by. So you start to wonder, for example, if you wonder that meditation is the meditation good for me. During the time that you're wondering, you've lost so much precious time. Someone who, who, who feels like the meditation is very good, they might start to think, oh, this is so good. And they start to think about how great it is and how, and they've completely lost the present. When you reminisce about the past or worry about the future the whole time you are uprooted from reality and you dry up like a plant that is uprooted the mind that is in this state is like the water that is disturbed by the wind you need the the, the water has to be calm and still and the mind has to be calm and still before you can see what's in it.
So you have to not get uh, triggered and and not and perpetuate the worry, the restlessness, the stress in the mind. That's why we have to face it. Even when it's unbearable, you have to bear it. Even when it's completely hurricane all around you, your minds are a tempest, and you have to sit with them. Even when the pain is overwhelming, you have to sit with it. Essential that your mind become stable. And finally, uh, the Buddha talked about a pool of water that is muddy in the dark and uh, like uh, where the, the bottom of the pool is um, mixed up is uh, disturbed and so the mud and the silt comes to the top and it's all muddy and clouded the water is clouded by mud but it said this is like the mind that is full of doubt when the mind is full of doubt well, you can't see anything clearly doubt doesn't help us now analyzing uh, or questioning can help it can help to decide even the Buddha posed questions to himself should I do this? what should I do? but he never doubted because when you pose the question your mind enters into a, a situation of making a decision and that's well it's not meditative it can be useful for deciding to meditate or deciding to do many different things of course without that decision making faculty we wouldn't be able to survive or do anything we wouldn't be able to come to practice meditation or decide to start walking or sitting you have to make that decision. But the doubt, doubt doesn't help you do that. Doubt just gets in the way of making the decision. Doubt doesn't let you see more clearly what are your options. That's what we think. Well, if I didn't doubt, I might make the wrong decision. You don't need doubt to make the right decision. And, and the opposite is true. Without doubt, you can look clearly at all of the options. But you can't do that without doubt. with doubt. You can't do that without giving up the doubt. You should never encourage it thinking, doubt will help me give me choices, right? Doubt does give you choices. It gives you infinite choices. You're never without choices because you can never make a decision. That's what doubt does for you. You give up doubt, you don't have to immediately choose anything. When you give up doubt, you can see the real choices and the real nature of those choices. And without doubt, you can make a decision quite quickly. You either see that it doesn't matter, either choice is meaningless, you see that the choice itself wasn't uh, essential, or you see one choice has a problem with it. You see that from seeing clearly. That the only way is if you do see clearly, and doubt will not. Doubt is the mud that stops you from doing that. So these are the five hindrances. That's what the Buddha said about them. Finally, he talked about, I mean, finally, there's so much we could say about the hindrances, but 
uh, finally for this talk what he said about them in the Anguttara uh, Nikaya is uh, he talked about the causes of them and how you c what you should focus on it to overcome them because he said the the real thing that cultivates and they're not mysterious they're not going to be a surprise most likely but the essence of of lust is attraction and he said those so there's this sign of attractiveness the objects of the sense, things you see and hear and smell and taste and feel, and even think about it, your bite, if you conceive of something in your mind, are either attractive or repulsive, or, or neither. But if they're attractive, that seed of attraction, when something is attractive, the lack of attention to that, when you don't pay attention this is what gives rise to lust desire and so this is why mindfulness is so essential mindfulness is what allows us to be with individual experiences catching the moments of attraction you, know, you 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 think I have lust. What am I going to do? I have desire. What am I going to do? By the time it's desire, it's really unmanageable. All you can do is note it and wait for it to go away and try to be as patient with it as possible. But if you can catch the attraction at the moment, based on an experience, the the moment of attraction, you can cut off the seed at the root and prevent it from growing. And if you can be present moment by moment, you can free your mind completely because you cut off the root of the desire. And the same goes with anger. Anger, hatred, cruelty, frustration, even boredom and depression, fear, sadness. All of these have the root in the unattractive or the repulsive. Some experience is unacceptable is a source of aversion and catching that root of aversion the disliking the simple disliking of, of something some moment is what allows you to break the chain and prevent it from growing and becoming anger and, and all those other things Uh, with drowsiness and sloth and torpor and laziness, the the root, the key, the thing to focus on is the indolence. Lounging around after meals and uh, indulging in sleep, oversleep and overeat. The the base this basic inclination to inactivity. Just the moments when you uh, when you fail to be be present. Uh, laziness as a habit is hard to hard to catch because it's kind of lacking. It's lacking of energy and motivation. So it's a lack of 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 the 
stepping up to the plate and being present. Mindfulness accomplishes this uh, as a matter of course, accomplishes this, this energy as a matter of course, because it does step up to the plate. It comes, it faces the experience. It addresses the experience and approaches the experience with exactly the right balance that keeps you from disliking or liking uh, and that provides energy and effort without becoming restless or distracted. So when you are tired the, in, the inclination of the lazy mind is to just lie down and rest. But when you're mindful and say, tired, tired, this is the sort of thing that wakes the mind up. When you feel uh, exhausted or like, like overwhelmed and you just want to give up, mindfulness is the mind that is able to note the feeling rather than perpetuate and develop it and feed it so that it becomes laziness. And the opposite, of course, with restlessness and worry, the, the mind that is too energetic, jumping, not able to, s to be with an object, any object that arises, any experience that arises, the mind has to find more, uh, has to can't experience it, can't be content with just experiencing. An experience has to be more, mean more, become more, lead to more. And so it jumps around. There's a mind that cannot stay with the experience, cannot stay with one experience. Yeah, so the unsettled mind is the cause of restlessness and worry. And that's the basic cause of it. The mind that is not with the present experience, that is not settled. And this is just another quality that we develop. Mindfulness is uh, the catalyst for focusing the mind, for settling the mind. Because c you continually rebuff the mind's intentions to jump around. And the mind becomes settled just by reminding yourself this is the experience. Stay with the experience. And with doubt, the Buddha talked about the cause as being careless attention. Careless attention. I don't know exactly what the Pali is, but it might be something like uh, 
ayoni somanasikara, careless attention, unwise attention. So doubt, when you're not prepared for a uh, for a decision, like a judge, if a judge is distracted, they might come to the bench and let their emotions rule their judgment. or not be able to see the, the, the facts in front of them. Uh, without mindfulness, without uh, the qualities of stability, when we're confronted with decisions, we easily fall into a doubt among, many, among other things. But the mind that is not uh, power empowered by the faculties of confidence and effort and mindfulness and concentration and wisdom uh, easily falls into doubt to uncertainty when we allow the mind to wander right? we allow the mind to consider things that have that are not related to the experience we allow the mind to make connections. Right? We had uh, someone came to the monastery today who had many feelings in her body, and each feeling she attributed to something, ghosts or beings who were out to kill her. So she had many ideas about what was going on, and this is the 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 uncareful. She wasn't careful. You know, want something we we drill into our students is to focus on w the distinction between the actual experience and all of the baggage and, and uh, conjecture and meaning you give to the experience because they're two very different things. When you ascribe meaning to something that meaning has no basis in the actual experience and that's what clouds your judgment without being careful, without this careful attention, you easily fall into, you easily lose that distinction. So you think you should consider what you, what you think of things. You, know? you have some feeling in the body and you think it's, um, you think about it being a person, a, a, a spirit, let's say, a spirit attacking you. you you've, because you were not careful to see, no, no, this spirit is something I thought of by myself. I actually have no evidence of that. And furthermore, spirit is only an idea itself. Even if there is a spirit somewhere, the reality is only the experience. So this woman, she came today and I spent about a half an hour talking with her about this distinction. And I said, I can't tell you whether there are beings trying to kill you. And, and that's something you have to deal with for sure. But on a whole other level, is the experience of these feelings and the stress and what really kills you is your reactions to the feelings. But doubt is what enables that, this this mind that is not clear. She had a question for me. She was wanted to ask it. She wasn't sure. And of course she wasn't sure because she was dealing with things that weren't real. They weren't the actual experience. This is why there's such certainty in Buddhism because it deals with reality. And and it's not 
some magical or, or spiritual reality. What does it deal with? It deals with seeing. Seeing is just seeing. There is nothing to doubt about seeing. No aspect of it that brings up doubt. It's only when you get into the details, the anubhyanjana, the nimitta and the anubhyanjana, the signs and the particulars. What does it mean? What is it? What is its nature? All of that, throw it out. None of that is real. Seeing is seeing and there's no doubt involved. There's no room for doubt. Hearing is hearing, smelling is smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking is thinking. When you understand this distinction, you have certainty. You have no, no room for the dangers of doubt. There's no potential for it to arise. So careful attention. This is what frees you from doubt. So, ended up being a fairly lengthy talk, but that's uh, some brief thoughts on the five hindrances. That's the Dhamma for today. Thank you for listening.